This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. Well, if it wasn't the offseason... I'd probably start by asking the questions, all right, when did the Seattle Seahawks get to town? Just based on the weather alone. I don't know if that's the reason why Danny was fighting the yawns moments ago here on Cardinals Underground. Why you got to call me out like that, Paul? I, I actually, it's, it's a positive because, um, you know, in the past you've been known to actually yawn during the Open. So at least before the Open, before I start speaking, I take that as a positive. Well, that, this- was, that was before we had cameras. So now that we're on camera, I try to not yawn during the open. This is the kind of weather you get, Seattle-wise, after you lose Coach Double Rainbow, though. That is true. There is no rainbow, just dreary. You know what, though? That's a great vertical tease, what they call in the business, and or foreshadowing, because I'm going to get to that a little bit later. We do have Seattle Seahawks news that you can use. How about that? By the way, if you're looking for a (laughs) ticket to the AFC-NFC championship game, I just saw this. Uh, They are setting a record on the secondary market. Did you know this, Danny, that if you wanted to get into the building to see Taylor Swift, uh, I mean, KC against Baltimore, the cheapest get-in ticket, we're talking end zone nosebleed, would be $544. The average ticket price right now is 2200 And then the NFC Championship is uh, close to 2500 is the average ticket Whoa. price. Oh, I will say at least you'd get a seat. There are some stadiums where you'd have to pay that for standing room only. So I guess at least you're getting a seat for yeah. your tush. Yeah. And I bring this up because uh, also last weekend's four NFL division around playoff games averaged just over 40 million viewers, which also set a record um, and was a big increase over the previous year. And then, of course, the uh, KC Buffalo on CBS averaged a, a record 50-plus million viewers. It's the most watched program on any network since last year's Super Bowl. Wow. And uh, then the nine, last one, and then no more math. The uh, Niners uh, Green Bay game averaged over 37 million. It's the most watched Saturday telecast on any network since the 1994 Winter Olympics on CBS. Really? So the insatiable appetite for NFL broadcasts and the NFL product continues to increase. Especially if it's the right teams. Yes. Packers, Niners. Mahomes, Josh Allen. And if it's a close game. And if it's a close game. The audience just continues to grow because both those telecasts, it peaked mid-fourth quarter. Yes. So if you've got a close, gripping, compelling game with plenty of storylines, at the same time, I, I think they fought against just the fatigue factor that Americans have when it comes to Kansas City and maybe even Buffalo in the playoffs at this point. Anybody else with me? Show of hands in the whole Kansas City fatigue factor. I cannot tell you how I am praying for Baltimore and Lamar to go against the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell. I will say, I was thinking about this, the difference of, I feel like, the Chiefs dynasty that we are currently 
watching versus the Patriots. For some reason, the Chiefs are a lot more likable, though. Are they not, Paul? And interesting. And the fact that... Andy Reid and his nugs are way better than Bill Belichick. But the fatigue factor starts to... Don't take my solo shot on that face. (laughs) Detract from the interesting or compelling aspects of the storyline. Just when you're beaten over the head with it. I don't think America can take two more weeks of multi-platform saturated coverage of the Kelseys. I just think it would be a breaking point here for Americans. You didn't like what you saw from Jason Kelsey? I Shirtless, chugging beer, jumping out of the suite to drink with the Bills fans. Uh, I loved it. My my absolute favorite tweet of the whole weekend was somebody taking the part where he leans out and he screams and they superimposed the audio of the T-Rex scream at the end of Jurassic Park. It is fantastic. Here's how I know that we're in a different demographic is I saw that video, but it was the audio of a song from High School Musical that was like on my Twitter and TikTok. Well, I think Jason Kelsey's looking at, you know what, it worked for the Gronk, the whole party animal type uh, persona, got him onto network TV and a lucrative you know, network TV gigs. So why not? You know, why not? I mean, that's, uh, can you not just see him trying to, uh, you know, forge a path post playing days? Boom. Let's get some camera time and make sure I go viral. I mean, it's marketing 101, is it not? I feel like that's probably more just his personality. I was going to say, don't don't you think he'll be a good, he'll be good on TV? Just his personality anyways? I actually, uh, I've I've never actually seen the podcast, to be honest with you. I've only seen clips. I, I, I think he will be excellent in that role. Or maybe he won't even need an official gig. It'll be like Peyton Manning, just forge his own company. And he may. Or Peyton Manning will just hire him, which (laughs) it seems like Peyton Manning's hiring everybody else. That's true. That could happen as well. So, all right, we got the final four, and we'll get into the Cardinals in a minute. Not to get all serious all of a sudden, but there are any takeaways, any best practices, as they might say in the business world, the Cardinals can take from these final four teams, the two NFC the two teams in the NFC and the two teams in the AFC championship games. I know we've talked about it before, but I mean, I, I think the patience that the Lions have had with Dan Campbell and what he's doing, I think that can be. I mean, maybe there won't be exact replication in terms of why the and how the Lions are winning to where the Cardinals would be. But the understanding, I saw a quote from Dan Campbell that came from his, uh, he was it was done before he had ever played a game. So he'd been hired somewhere in that first offseason And he told The Athletic that, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he basically said, look, everybody wants to win right away. But like to do it the right way, to to have something in place that will last, it's you can't do everything that fast. You cannot. It's going to take a couple years. And I I think that's kind of where they are now. we'll, We'll see how that works, because as we all know, the issue with the NFL is. You start it starts getting sticky after three or four years because guys, you if you win, you start making money. You start losing guys. Can you fill those those spots and everything? But I, I do think that that is something that you can look at and say, okay, this is this is workable if we just have a little bit of patience. Now, again, to to draw that to where the Cardinals are or where they're going to be, like somebody asked in the mailbag this week about like how optimistic I was about them being a major player in the NFC over the next two, three years and all that. And you can't, to me, that's an impossible question to ask because you don't know the direction it's going to go. But I, I do think it's possible. But there's a lot of things that have to happen and that have to happen the right way for it to work. When you're looking at the four teams, it's 
easiest, makes the most sense to look at how the Lions have done things and compare that to where the Cardinals are, where they want to go. And we've talked about that before. The other thing that stands out besides patience when talking about the Lions is relying on youth and those younger players and the draft picks and developing them and Sam Laporta, in Hutchinson, right? Those younger players that have really become staples in their positions and how they have helped their side of the ball so significantly while still having some of those veteran presence, you know, from, from some of those players. Um, but that's what stands out to me as well because that that is what feels like is happening with the Cardinals. And you can see that with some of the players that have been let go and how much time we saw the rookies play this year. That's another parallel that I see is not just the patience, but also relying on the youth and really getting the most out of those younger players. Yeah, it's true. Lions ownership stuck with Dan Campbell. At one point, his record was 4-19-1. They won three games his first year. They started 1-6 the second season. And then it turned. It turned with a foundation they put in place. It started to pay off. And it turned for good. To your point, Darren, you know, once you put in a solid foundation... But at the same time, they also, Brad Holmes, the GM, has done a great job in yes. formulating some really productive drafts. In fact, if you want something that the Cardinals fans are praying for right now, is that assistant GM of the Cardinals, Dave Sears, had a lot to do with those Detroit drafts the last couple of years because he was part of that Detroit front office and the personnel evaluation team that nabbed a lot of these guys that they got in the last two or three drafts that are paying off now. And that's true. Obviously not the most recent draft because he was here, but I, I do think it's it's interesting to me because when you look, the, the, the Lions had two first-round picks last year, and they got absolutely hammered. They took Gibbs, the running back. They took Laporta. At 12. Laporta at... No, they took Jack Campbell, the, uh, oh, the, the second inc- round, right? Second round, Laporta Campbell, second but, round. But yep. all three of those guys ended up playing huge roles yep. for them. And and again, it goes back to like if you get the right pieces, they all kind of fit. Now again, the, the Lions were further down the road with some other stuff, including offensive line. So those things made sense. But um, I, I'm fascinated. The mailbag again, a lot of questions already about draft, which we're a little early on that, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on podcast many many times. But the one thing I keep coming back to is like. Even though we've been through an offseason with Monty Austin Fort, we really, we really don't know exactly, especially free agent-wise, how he's going to attack things because last year, to me, was about clearing the decks. And I know they would never say that, and there was other things in play, but it was about clearing the deck. This is going to be the first year where you have some money to play with and, and a real like chance to see, okay, this is where Monty want to take, wants to take this. Right, this will be fully his control, his decision, because to a certain extent, he had to, you know, utilize the players that were already here. Now, there were players that he let go once he got here. I mean, we know DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Matthew, Marco Wilson, a whole list of players, right? He was still having to have the foundation of draft picks or free agents, players that were here from the previous regime. And now, Monty Ford gets to have his hand over everything and every decision. Not that he didn't before, but an entire offseason. And not only that, he's not having to find a new head coach and and hire a full Helpful. coaching staff, right? Um, so it, I agree with you. To a certain extent, it does kind of feel like the first real offseason we will get to see Awesome Fort work that magic and see the decisions and, and 
get a better idea of a draft and a free agency offseason for him. We did get a really good look at how masterful he can be around the draft, all that wheeling and dealing and trading down and trading back up and all the picks that he made and seeing what we got out of the rookie class. I think that's just the beginning from what we can see from Austin Fort. Yeah, if you hit rewind to this time a year ago, you're Monty Austin Fort, you're new on the job. How do you know what you need? How do you know what you want when you don't truly know what you have? So now after going through an entire season and you don't really know what you have, for example, in a guy like Greg Dorch, right? I mean, Greg Dorch did I mean, if you put Monty Osford in the trust tree a year ago at this time, does Greg Dorch even make the final fifty-three? Didn't even get significant reps and snaps at receiver until the last two months of the season. Now he's probably in your future plans. So you're saying that uh the the off season between your rookie GM year and your second year as GM is the, you make the biggest leap. Is that where you're going with that? <laughs> well done, Darren. Well done. Yes. Why not? Absolutely. And and your point, Danny. I mean, look, the number was and I have it right here. Cardinals led the NFL with 11 rookies who started at least one game. They combined for an NFL high 64 starts. Okay, they were the only team to start six rookies in one game, and they did it twice. All those rookie reps and snaps. I mean. That's got to pay off exponentially next year. And it wasn't just the draft class. It was the undrafted guys, whether it was Amari DiMercato and you know all the, all the other undrafted guys, the Elijah Higgins, those sort of Starling Thomas. And so these are the sorts of uh, players that, okay, you know what you have. Now you're going to go out, what do we want? Where do we need to improve? And, look, I still – continue to think if we're focused on number four and I know everybody is and I know there's one name out there Rondale Moore and I'm thinking at number four overall You're in the funny draft today Darren I am I, I'm as so I, damn funny I, as I ignore that and I just continue on and you look at someone like oh I don't know a Mike Evans in free agency if you believe the reports that he's going to hit the open market maybe a two-year deal get you by now all of a sudden you don't necessarily need receiver at number four overall I <laughs> don't Danny doesn't think, like that idea I, there. Apparently. Here's the thing. I know I was just saying we're we're just now gonna get a feel for what Awesome Fort wants to do in an offseason. To me, from what we know, taking an older wide receiver and having that be the position that you are giving a one or two year two year deal to does not feel like what he wants to do. I get more of the feeling that especially with this offense where you do already have some good veteran pieces they are going to want to stay younger now when you're looking at defense that's where I think it would make more sense to bring in a more veteran seasoned player on a one or two year deal maybe on a a, you know coming in to finish their contract and you'd have to make the decision after a year to pay them i.e. a pass rusher or maybe a stout defensive lineman or maybe a star cornerback That, to me, makes more sense of how this front office, it seems like, if you're reading the tea leaves, of how they kind of want to do things, is stay a little younger. I think they like the pieces on offense. I just think there's more options that they have with wide receivers that are younger, won't cost as much. Maybe you could draft them. And I think that you don't necessarily have a lot of those options on the defense. And that's where, to me, it would make more sense. If you're going to be spending a good amount of money, spend it on someone on defense when you probably, with a few extra pieces for much cheaper, can get by with 
pieces on offense. It feels to me at this early stage that, again, when you talk about the high-end players, we keep falling back to offensive players. And Although I threw out Brian Burns last week, but you shot that down. You think he's going to get tagged. Oh, I think he will get tagged. Well, this, is still, this is still new management now in Carolina. Uh, and look, there, everything's on the table, but even if you have new management, I mean, the new GM in Carolina is Dan Morgan, who played in this league mm-hmm. for a long time, was an excellent linebacker, and has put in his time in personnel offices. You don't tend to get rid of your better players. That that tends to undermine your chance at being a good GM out of the gate. But and supposedly, reportedly, two years ago, they were offered two first round picks by the Rams, and Carolina turned it down. Yeah. And Morgan was part of that decision to turn down that sort of trade offer for Brian Burns. Yeah. So I would say, you know, ultimately, we're not going to know where this goes. But I tend to agree with Danny. Like, if if I had to make a blind prediction would be I would think that defensively that's where the main free agent targets will be because offensively you're number one further along and number two you can get you 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 see some possibilities there this team this draft is supposedly deep in tackles it's deep in wide receivers Um, I'm not sure about some of the other positions those are two that I've heard and obviously when people talk about what they're going to do at number four those are the two positions you're talking about now again getting a, a a generational potentially talent at four, whether it's a tackle or a receiver, is different than just getting a really good one. And I understand that in the draft, but um, you know, I'm just I'm fascinated to see exactly how it plays out in March especially and, and what that might mean for the draft. I also wonder, and I know it's just an example, but somebody like Mike Evans, yes, he is I think he has the record for most thousand receiving yard seasons does he not I think I heard that as well right, like in, in a, into beginning career right he'll be 31 this year I just I think again of would it make more sense instead to give Hollywood Brown a one-year prove-it deal if you've got the size of Michael Wilson and you see the potential there right like is is Mike Evans I know that was just probably a name as an example Paul but would that really make sense when they have other again other cheaper options Honestly, in a, in an ideal world, you re-sign Hollywood Brown and you add a Mike Evans, and or, then you're able or to, draft a receiver, and then you're able to use number four overall to either cash it in. If oh, I see what you're saying. You what, don't even want a draft receiver. You want to have your receiver set. Darren, what'd you say? Where this draft is deep, it's tackles, and what's the other position? Wide receiver. Oh, because I made a little list here about some of the premier wide receivers who have been taken outside round one. In fact. On day three, a lot of them. How about Amon Ross St. Brown, a former fourth-round pick just two years ago. Puka Nakua, just last year, a fifth-round pick. Nico Collins, dude balled out in the playoffs. Third-round pick two years ago out of Michigan. Of course, Cooper Cup, right? I mean, 2021 NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Once upon a time, a day-two pick. Tyreek Hill, well, for reasons off the field, was a fifth-round pick. And then even guys like Devontae Adams. Right, I mean, there were eight receivers taken before Devontae Adams, who was this on this year's All Pro or Pro Bowl teams, just like Stephon Diggs. You know, eighteen receivers were taken ahead of Stephon Diggs. Terry McLaurin, not too long ago, was round three. AJ Brown even was round two. So I'm just saying, if this is the deepest wide receiver draft that we've seen in a while, there are options beyond number four to find a difference maker, a playmaker at receiver, and then. If indeed you're using the Lions as that Honolulu blueprint, as I've been saying, then okay, what did they do? They added Aiden Hutchinson, number two overall. 
and they rebuilt the offensive line. Drafted Penny Sewell right about the same spot as a Paris Johnson Jr., who, by the way, they just left at right tackle. Then they added a left tackle along the way. And that Lions offensive line might not get a lot of pub, but you can't tell me that's not the driving force and the backbone of that Lions team right now. I think that is completely fair. And honestly, from what I have been seeing online, it, it kind of seems like at least mock drafts and just now kind of starting to dip my toe into all of that. It seems like if the Cardinals are going to take a receiver in the first round, a lot of people are signing it as Marvin Harrison Jr. or no one. So that's exactly what you're so, saying. Yeah. Are you seeing others? Where no, like- no. What I was going to say was part of that, too, is where where they're mocking. Like, to me, if you take a receiver in the first round, it's going to be Marvin because they're having you at four. Like, if if the Cardinals trade down, it's probably, obviously, it'd be somebody else. I, but, yeah. Right. But but you're, you're, it sounds like what you're saying, Paul, which it's not a lot of wide receivers being taken in the first round just because they're, it seems so deep it's pretty much you're right wide receiver is, or tackle what i'm saying is you can get away yes with not taking that receiver in the first round however i even saw a mock draft in nfl.com that had marvin harrison going four and then malik neighbors five and roma dunze six yeah, there could be a run oh. there could be a run and i've also seen a mock dra- and again these are mock drafts nobody knows what the hell there's gonna, gonna be 200 of these within the next two weeks but um there was one mock draft out there that has eight offensive tackles going in the first round wow Eight out of, what, 32 picks? Well, I've seen a number of them that have the Oregon State tackle going ahead of the Penn State tackle, and then the Notre Dame tackle is in there as well. The, the receiving question is just fascinating for all the reasons you guys are talking about, and and it's it, some of it is philosophical. Like, you can't – you're absolutely going to be able to make an argument that you can find a really good receiver later. But, Paul, you and I have been around, around long enough. I mean, Chad Williams never did anything. Nope. John Brown was pretty good, yeah. but he didn't last super long. Hmm. Um, who else have they taken? Um, well, and then you had the whole Keyshawn Johnson. Um, yeah, Keyshawn Johnson, Hakeem, Hakeem Butler, 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 and then Andy, Andy Isabella. Isabella. Yeah, so, you know, it, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What was his What was his name? What was that name? I, there, there's Andy. a bingo card. There, bingo oh. cards. Up. By the way, he did make an appearance in round one of the playoffs. I saw that, and then he tripped. They were trying to get him uh, the he, bubble screen out in the signed, flat, uh, and he slipped. He signed a futures. Yeah. He was on practice squad. He signed okay. a futures deal with the Bills. Gotcha. Here's the point I'm going to make about receiver. If you want to use the Lions, this is the last time I bring up the Lions here. Okay. No, it's not. But that's okay. I saw a retrospect retrospective on how they got to this point, and they started with Matt Millen otherwise known as the worst GM in modern NFL history, who was the Lions GM from 2000 to 2008. You're going to talk about receivers, aren't you? And what did he do? And he did it more than once. He took receiver top five or top ten. Yep. And by the time he left, the year he left, they went 0-16. That's the roster he built because he kept failing and flailing by taking receivers high in the draft, and it never, ever worked out. Wasn't Calvin Johnson one of them, though? He worked out pretty good. Think now, was, Charles Rogers did not, and neither did Mike Williams. There was another Williams. one, Mike Williams Mike out of Williams. USC. Yep. So uh, my point is I just think that this regime, Monty Austin Ford in particular, they're looking more at the line of scrimmage. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the trenches is the starting point of everything. I think that, again, when you're reading the tea leaves of what this front office, the moves that have been made, that is where they stand as well. Let's not forget – why, yes, you could, you know, we agree that wide receiver is a need. So is tackle. It would have been a, a topic of discussion yeah, before true. DJ Humphreys tore his ACL in the second to last game of the season. It's 
a, it's it's a big need now because you don't know how much time he's going to miss. And although the Cardinals do have options, they could decide they want Humphreys back when he's healthy and you ride with Calvin Beecham, who spent a lot of his career before signing to the Cardinals a couple of years ago as the left tackle. He's just been more on the right side here in Arizona. You could decide that Paris Johnson Jr. is your future left tackle and this is the time to move him, or you could look in the draft. I mean, there are plenty of reasons that drafting a tackle high for the Cardinals or maybe that second pick in the first round makes sense. So wide receiver is a big need. I know we've talked about that. Now more than ever, though, tackle is as well. So if you don't go receiver and or tackle at number four, then you have a second first-round pick, courtesy of the trade with the Texans last year. For those fans who maybe have been in denial about where that Texans pick ultimately stands, where it ended up, go ahead, just give it to them straight, Darren. Where are the Cardinals picking courtesy of that Texans pick in the first round? 27th. 27th. Okay. Well, look, um, it was a calculated gamble. The recent NFL history was in your favor. Just didn't happen to work out. I mean, Again, I'm, I'm not I, – I, I mean, Houston, I'm not going to say it doesn't work out. Houston yet. went from 3-13-1 to 10-7 and and winners yeah. of the division. Yeah. Every year there's one team that goes from worst to first. Historically, I think it's like 18 of the last 20 years or something like that. You had the misfortune, if you're the Cardinals, of the Houston Texans to find the odds in being that one team to go from worst to first, to have that one rookie quarterback to defy NFL history and every single expectation. I wrote it down over here. You realize that C.J. Stroud ended up throwing for the second most passing yards by a rookie in NFL history behind only Andrew Luck. And he ended the season with 198 straight pass attempts without a pick. He only had five all I'm year. Sorry, Three I, of those against I, the I only saw him live once, and, and he yeah. didn't look all that great to yeah, me. Exactly. Does it make it feel if he wins? If he wins, you know, if he wins like offensive rookie of the year, does that He's make? Do that. Does that make it? Does that take away some of the sting of the Cardinals picking twenty seventh because he had such a great year, as opposed to him kind of riding the bubble? And it's well, like, let, oh, let me he had ask you this game. question: How do you feel if I tell you that the Pro Football Writers of America voted C.J. Stroud as the offensive rookie of the year and Will <laughs> Anderson as the defensive rookie of the year? Really? Yep. Does that make you feel a little better of like the the pick dropped just because they were that good as opposed to right in the line and they just happened to get hot at the right time and they weren't that good of a team? I mean, you could you couldn't know. And and again, I'm not ju- I'm not going to judge this this trade until we know all of the all of what they get out of it and we won't know that until I mean, if you end up there's been somebody sent uh, our good friend Jim Omohundro sent a list of the 27th overall picks over like the last 20 years or whatever it was. You want to know who one of them was? DeAndre Hopkins. Interesting. Now, if you go over the list, there's some okay players. There's not a lot of superstars. There's definitely some guys that, okay, never heard of them again. So it could be anything, but you can you can find something. And then if they end up getting something out of the – is it the second-round pick or the third-round pick they got in that trade? I think they got in a third-round pick too. So Third, I believe. I mean, there's a there's a lot yep. that can and and once if we see all these players and then a couple of years, let's see. Now, the other thing that I keep bringing up with this trade, that people, I feel like they are kind of not thinking clearly on, and it kind of goes back to what we keep talking about: what might happen at four with Marvin Harrison or a tackle. Let's say, if the Cardinals would have stayed at three, there's a very good chance they take Paris Johnson and not Will Anderson. So this idea that they gave up Will Anderson 
isn't totally true because I think they probably would have taken Paris anyways. By the way, Will Anderson, I'm looking at here, ended his uh, rookie season setting a Houston Texans rookie record with seven sacks. He had 45 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, 22 quarterback hits. He missed two games with the ankle injury. And he was in tears after the playoff loss. That's how emotional he was about losing that game and how much he said he's looking forward to next season with C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans. You can still find good pieces at 27. You can still find plug-and-play starters at 27. For me, like this, this is where it gets interesting. It'll be interesting to see writing the line of best player available and position of need because they really just go hand-in-hand hand of you might have – Thankfully for the Cardinals, they have lots of positions of need. To a certain extent, though, if there's a player on the board who might be your 18th overall player sitting there at 27, and it's right, maybe not one of your top two positions of need that you might think, there's, it still would make sense to take that player if that's how this front office's scouting department ranks them. I think for 27... I would have no problem, even if they take a tackle at four, give me another interior offensive line, offensive lineman. Like, beef up that O-line. I would be yeah. absolutely yeah. here for it. And if you're not taking another offensive lineman at 27, guess what? Defensive lineman works just fine for me. I know there are a few DBs that have been early on mocked in the first round, kind of in that area. Again, if you think that is somebody who could come in and be a star player for you, great I'm still sticking with the fact that while there are players who are like edge rushers who are being mocked in the first round I think again I'm staying by if you can get a trade and get a veteran presence in that room somebody who you know will come and be a game wrecker you have the draft capital to do that it's just a matter of wanting to pay that or being able to afford that I would have no problem at 27 taking a player on either side of the line of scrimmage. My uh, my young son decided to do a pro football focus mock draft. They have that machine in there. And uh, apparently you can trade for actual players. So that's what he did. He took Harrison at four. Okay. And then he executed a trade for Brian Burns with that 27th pick and some other stuff. And I, I could see that potentially yeah. happening. Yeah. I mean... That's good. Uh, you know, kids using chat GPT for something other than cheating in school. It's good. I'm glad to hear that. So that's that's solid. Uh, appreciate that. By the way, the best thing that could happen to the Cardinals at number four is there is a fourth quarterback that's on the board. Who's sitting a, at number five right now? That a team wants. Who's, who's drafting well, five? that's part of the problem. It's the Chargers. So the part they of the problem is... They don't need a quarterback, is, Paul. They do not. They the, actually need a, a receiver of some sort. Yes, they do. Yeah, The next team down the draft order that has a legit need for quarterback would be Atlanta at 8. And then you have uh, the Raiders at 13, Denver at 12, and there's some Minnesota at 11. So are you willing to fall that far? What are they giving you in return? Even at 8, I'd be concerned if, if quarterbacks go 1-2-3... Even at eight, I'd be concerned that both tackles and Marvin Harrison are gone by the time I pick. And I don't know if I... Yeah, so you would have to be comfortable with probably any of three tackles, any of three receivers, if you're going down to eight. I agree. But if who's going to be this year's Anthony Richardson? That is my question. Because there's always that one quarterback who makes the run, at least in recent history. Trey Lance out of nowhere to go number three. Zach Wilson out of nowhere to go number two. Anthony Richardson last year out of nowhere to go number four. 
And every single mock draft that I've seen has Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels going one, two, three. What about a fourth quarterback? I've seen Bo Nix. Or maybe that was lower, lower in the draft for Bo Nix. See, I've seen lots. I've seen a, ha- a handful of mock drafts has Harrison to the Patriots, mm. and then they take Bo Nix early in the second round. Did they miss the Gerard Mayo interview where he actually told the interviewer that we're going to take the best player who actually plays quarterback at number three? He didn't say quarterback. Uh, he, he hinted heavily that that was the position, right? I'm sure he wouldn't play any kind of mind games at this point. Yeah. Okay. All right. You sure it wasn't maybe inexperience of being a head coach and showing a little too much? Maybe. Maybe. Did he go all Dennis Green on so, us? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. All I do know is that the Cardinals have like a half dozen assistant coaches who are working the All-Star games. Very impressive. So a little intel, hopefully, that you're able to generate courtesy of your assistant coaches who are working on the front lines with a lot of these players. Right, and they're doing things a little differently with the Senior Bowl because normally it's the coaching staff of – the worst um, record for NFC and AFC, and, and they're kind of changing it up. But the Cardinals do still have a lot of play, a lot of coaches rather that were nominated and selected to have different roles. And I like that because you're still getting exposure to players. It's also a great way that the NFL is trying to get exposure for these coaches. And it's a lot of them are kind of having either similar or more of an elevated, more of a promotional role from what they have with their current team. Um, so that's. Very exciting. They're going to get a lot of a lot of good intel from from those um, games. For example, Israel Wolfork. He's going to be working the uh, Senior Bowl. He's the quarterback coach. What he did last year. He was the one who uh, connected with Clayton Toon, and the Cardinals ended up taking Clayton Toon in the fifth round. Autry Denson, Cardinals running backs coach, is going to do the same in the Senior Bowl. Chris Cook, assistant O line coach for the Cardinals, is going to help coach the O line at the Senior Bowl for the national team. Connor Sanger, the wide receivers coach at the Senior Bowl, he's part of the Cardinals staff. And then Drew Torrell, he's going to be the OC in the Shrine game. And I saw the quote, Darren, he told you, azcardinals.com, quote, yes, the evaluation is a huge part of it. It's an advantage for us, quote, yeah. end quote. Well, there's no question, and and you mentioned Clayton Toon. Last year, Wolfrick was on the other uh, all-star team with Michael Wilson, but he, as soon as he saw him in person, and this is a kid who they, they didn't know, a lot of people didn't know a lot about because he was injured, he really loved him, watched him in some practice, So by the and at this point he was working for the Browns. So when he gets hired with the Cardinals and they start doing their draft prep, obviously he was on their radar, but Israel Wolfrick could say, look, I was around this guy, he was really good, this and that. I mean, that's part of it. You talked about Clayton Toon. Spencer uh, Whipple apparently is also going to coach uh, wide receivers at the Senior Bowl as well. That's right. Yep. And, and you get a sense, okay, is the kid immature? Is the kid a professional? Is the kid ready? Is he a worker? Is he a grinder? How, How does he learn? Yep. How focused is he? Do you, can you, you show him something. Does he automatically take to it and make the immediate improvement? You know, how coachable is he? You're right. It's interesting that you're bringing up that point. And, and it's it's really important for the draftees, and it's what everybody should go through. But even free agency, that's the thing. When people start reading off lists of guys that are going to be, these veterans that are going to be available in free agency, I, I know some of them are sexy names, and you're like, oh, what about this guy? What about this guy? I don't think we can look past the fact that Monty Osenfort and Jonathan Gannon have a very specific kind of player they want in here. And we don't know what they think of the, some of these free agents in that regard. So there might be some guys that everybody on the outside is thinking, oh, that guy makes sense. They need this position and he's available. And they'll never really have that much of an interest in going after him because they know this or that. 
that's something else that needs to be kept in mind. It's not just the rookies they're drafting, but also the guys they're going to be signing as free agents. Once upon a time, not too long ago, Cardinals signed Jordan Phillips from the Bills, and he had a contract year in his Mm. final year of his rookie deal, and he had like 10 sacks as an interior D lineman, and then did not deliver. Zero return on investment. On So, yes, buyer beware in free agency. There's no doubt about it, and there's a lot of personnel people who feel strongly. If a player makes it to free agency, there's a reason why his current team is letting that player hit the open market, tread lightly. And so, you know, we'll see. Um, I will say that, you know, a little shout-out to Drew Torello if he's, as the OC and play caller. Some kid really balls out during practice, right? You know, and you know, don't showcase him in the game. I mean, don't give him any touches. Don't give him any targets. Don't, don't feed him. I mean, you know, no, keep that information to yourself. You here's, know, suppress all that. Here's the hilarious part about this, Paul. Most of the decision-makers in the NFL never watch the game. They might watch a tape later. But they all bail from those places after true. practices. So I, I don't yeah. know what you're talking Wait, about. They don't want to spend more time in like Mobile, Alabama. The Shrine Game's in Frisco. I noticed at the the I'm Ford Center you haven't at the asked Star to go home. Check out the Shrine Game. I heard someone say yeah, I was all inside, so they didn't have to worry about the weather or anything. So okay, I didn't yes, know it's that. It's a nice little setup. How right. how big is that? How many, how many people see, are, can see? I can don't see know, but there? a whole lot. I, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Tens of thousands. Oh, that big? Yeah. I'll look it up real quick. Because when I was looking, I kept thinking they were going to play it at AT&T. And then I'm like, Mm-mm. no, they're just playing in Frisco. I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. So that's getting started real quick, isn't it? The whole shrine and 12, senior bowl. Sorry, 12,000. Next week. Not tens oh, of thousands. 12,000. I think the shrine week starts at the end of this week. Uh, if I'm, yeah, I think the shrine starts at the end of this week because the game is Thursday, a week from Thursday, and then the the Senior Bowl starts at the beginning of next week, and the game is Saturday, I believe. So you think the Seahawks will have a head coach by then? I mean, what's going on? I saw where Atlanta just interviewed like its 13th or 14th head coaching candidate. You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Bill Belichick's going to be that, that guy. Many? If you're, if you're hiring, if you're talking to that many people, and it, and the the last thing I saw was the Falcons had put in for second interviews with the two Lions guys. If you're hiring Bill Belichick, I don't think you're, you're going in for second interviews over guys that you can't talk to for potentially a while. I mean, we thought Dan Quinn was going to be the Seahawks Jeez. head coach, right? Dan Quinn, I thought he was a shoe in, but then all of a sudden he gave up a 48 burger in the playoffs to Jordan Love, and maybe not so much. Although ultimately, eventually, I still would say Dan Quinn would probably be the betting favorite in Seattle to return to whence he was a, That's know, a defensive quarter. I don't know. I do know that Pete Carroll, Coach Double Rainbow, um, he went out uh, to his advisory role with a couple of uh, choice comments when he was talking uh, about how ownership isn't comprised of football people. Hence, they have a hard time assessing what's going on. Oh, is this your Seahawks news you were teasing earlier? how about that? Pete Carroll on his uh, radio show. and uh, Because remember, right before his uh, reassignment right to uh, that as an evaluator or whatever it was, uh, the BA role, uh, he had said to the media two days earlier he planned to remain as head coach. And then he had plenty of energy. But then he got transitioned. And in his radio interview, he made that comment that uh, it's tough when you're trying to explain how you want to fix it and you're not talking to, quote, football people. Interesting. And so, and he also let it be known that uh, he was in charge of the roster, that it's now the GM John Schneider sh- show. But it wasn't before that he had final say 
I thought I read that personnel. somewhere though that when he was out, somebody said, "Okay, now Schneider yeah. finally has control." So I don't know if that yeah. was a big secret. Well, and then when Schneider met the uh, media, he said he was going to have control among other things, not just the roster, but the coaching staff. Mm. So a lot going on there. What does that mean for an incoming head coach? You're not going to have final say over your own staff. That doesn't make sense to me. So I'm wondering if it's becoming a little more problematic and or difficult for the Seahawks to find a head coach than they originally thought, considering. The terms of employment, perhaps. I don't know. Perhaps. All I know is that uh, that Pete Carroll, when asked flat out, where do you need to improve, what was your assessment, he said both lines of scrimmage. And if you look at some of the stats, the Seahawks ran the fewest plays in the NFL this year because the defense couldn't get a stop, and oh, then they oh. couldn't and they couldn't sustain drives on offense. So, but but if, Seattle is going after line of scrimmage. But if Pete, in Pete Carroll's opinion, if Pete Carroll was in charge of the roster, isn't that his fault that they? Didn't have good enough players? Yes, if you want to reverse yeah, engineer was, it. He yeah. was objective enough to see where the problems were, Darren. Yeah, but that that when you're talking to somebody who knows football or doesn't know football, my first thought was, yeah, I did a lousy job. This needs to be fixed because I did a lousy job putting it together. Oh. That would that would concern me. It may not have been his job to find the players, maybe identify the needs and draft accordingly, but then to actually identify the draft picks and free agents. Are you in charge of the roster or not? Saying that was beyond the purview of Coach Double Rainbow. Doing that was a lot the of GM. defending for Seattle Same. Seahawks over there, Paul. Saying, you know, it's uh, I just I want to go back to the days of two off seasons ago when I could refer to them as the last place Seahawks. Those were the you know glory days. That's, Wasn't that, that was, also the off season where you yeah. said Tom Brady was going to sign with the 49ers? Um, was that still COVID? <laughs> was that the hot take that's, that offseason? That's, that's right. Everything was a miss, Darren. You're right. It was just <laughs> any sort of failures during that period of time, blame it on COVID. You're, you're right. That is the default excuse. There, there's no doubt about that. So uh, speaking of the division, are the Niners in trouble against the Detroit Lions? You realize it was a Niners team that allowed Green Bay to take their first three possessions all the way down the field into the red zone. And then Green Bay failed with a couple of field goals and a failed fourth down. And then the Niners just gave up their first 100-yard rusher in 50 games. Steve Wilkes' defense, what do you think is going to happen with Jared Goff coming into his hometown? This is an epic all-time matchup for Jared Goff in his career. He's coming home, and he's taking the Lions. And they're not going to sweat Levi's Stadium or that atmosphere. Come on now. I think it'll be... Interesting. It, it really does feel like that underdog mentality. I mean, the 49ers have just been juggernauts for so long. And, and even if it hasn't been that long, they've been so dominant the last couple of years. It's kind of hard to imagine if they lose to a Lions team. But Detroit's done a nice job of consistently doing enough and turning things around that I think it will be interesting to see. I mean, San Francisco has been a complete team yes to me it all just comes down to their offense is is kind of how Brock Purdy's playing Christian McCaffrey getting him the ball so I think it just kind of rides on the two of those is Debo playing it's a shoulder for him right yeah to me if Debo Samuel doesn't play that's gonna make big. a big difference to me I, I I think the the 49ers absolutely need to be favored um but would I be surprised if the Lions won that game? No, I wouldn't be surprised if they won that game. I, I'm curious to know if it's going to be raining again or if it's going to be a nice day. Is Christian McCaffrey, who doesn't ever seem to – I mean, the guy was hurt a bunch and then he got to San Francisco and now even when he is hurt, he's running for 100 yards and two touchdowns. So 
Um, because the, the thing that really threw me the other, not having Debo Samuel made a huge difference, but there was something off with Brock Purdy the other day. And yep. I don't know, you know, again, I'm not putting him in the same class as the Patrick Mahomes of the world, but I also don't know if, I mean, guys are going to have hiccups and that might've just been that day. And, you know, I mean, Green Bay flat out dropped two picks, just two picks right in their hands. And then you saw Brock Purdy struggling with the rain and he's wiping his hand in his game pants and during the drop back. So you hope that was what was responsible for poor accuracy at times, because until that final drive where he was nails and he went six to seven and they had the game winning touchdown. Yeah, his accuracy was lacking in a lot of that game. So we'll see if he's uh, up to the uh, task on that one. All I know is Green Bay was the more physical team for a lot of that game. And the Lions are a physical team, and they have a physical offensive line. And so the Niners' strength as a team is that defensive front, and the Lions are equipped to handle that. So we agree we're all cheering for the Lions and the Ravens, right? Well, I, I did see something that's interesting. the fatigue factor. We don't want to see San Francisco or Kansas I, so, City so that anymore. Was, that was my point. Is I yeah. saw something on Twitter of a discussion of this perfect situation. If you're a Cardinals fan, are you – Maybe not rooting for the 49ers, but you want your division to be represented and say, look how good this division is. Like, I have no problem with the 49ers winning. Or is it, heck no, I don't want the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. I don't care if they're that, in my that's, division. That's, like that's how I would feel. Old Pac-12 <laughs> talking. I'm like, oh, yeah. Do I want U of A to win the Rose Bowl? Because then they're Pac-12. No. Oh, First that all, was a close one. That was close, but it didn't close. happen. <laughs> First of all. We keep talking about this cheese fatigue. I noticed when you guys went on your monologues about it earlier that you never actually got around to me asking me if I had any cheese fatigue. Oh, Paul. Which, oh. which I don't. Well, you're, you're, <laughs> So it doesn't really bother me if the Chiefs get in. Um, you're so objective as the I'm ultimate fatigued. journalist. We didn't ask I'm you. I'm just saying it feels different than when the Patriots were No, no, I know. But you, you, when he said cheese fatigue, you were like, yeah, I have a little bit of it. You did say that. Okay, we could roll the tape, but anyway, go oh, whatever. on. Whatever. Anyways, um, and... I would definitely want to see the Lions win, in part because I'm originally from Detroit. So, I mean, not that I, you know. I mean, exciting if you're a Michigan fan and a Lions yes, fan right I now. I definitely enjoyed the Michigan championship. By the way, Paul, you said you weren't going to talk about Lions anymore, and then you started talking about the Lions again. And and you didn't even talk about your Lions you socks. You were just nope. full what of about accountability your Lions today. Socks? Oh, my goodness. What Lions did, socks? My wife's best friend. <laughs> They've lost their mind, all right, in the D, the 313, <laughs> as Eminem says. All right, they she sent us a Hate box loud, baby. of Lions gear, fully well knowing my Cardinals affiliation. And she sent me my own personal pair of Lions socks. Why are you so offended by Just that? Just a flex. That's a really nice gesture. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put them on eBay. I'm going to send her the link to the listing is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell those things off. She knows what she's doing on that one. You should wait because if they win the Super Bowl, maybe they'll be worth more. How dare you send my kids Lions gear? Come on now. They live in the AZ. We represent here at State 48. It's wrong. It's just wrong. But, you know, now they're trying to go ahead and indoctrinate everyone into uh, Lions Nation and all that. I get it. We'll let you all know when he wears the socks, everyone. <laughs> we'll be good. But I will say this. I mean, if you talk about and, – and I've talked about this before, okay – the city of Detroit has won championships. The Red Wings and the Tigers and the Pistons. It'll be nothing like what happens if the Lions can actually win the Super Bowl. I mean, you, you talk about it. And that's the great thing about sports. We lived it here with the, Card with the Cardinals in 2008 and 2015. It just unifies an entire state, an entire metro area. It's one thing 
that in this time of divided nation, right, that brings everyone together. Well, again, and it's kind of what we were talking about last week, where you go back to, uh, you see these fans, you saw the the season ticket holder since like 1955 and everything, and there's a part of you going, man, you stuck with them this long, and that's kind of crazy when you didn't get the payoff. But when you get the payoff, like if you're a Cardinals fan or if you're a Lions fan, it's so different than if you're a Cowboys fan, for instance. If they win. Hi, they... Brian. <laughs> oh, God. Now he's getting shout outs to his first name. Um, yeah, that's my dad, everybody. Um, I feel like if the Lions win and they do their Super Bowl parade, they might just unveil a Dan Campbell statue oh, in the yeah. middle of the city right then and there. And by the I way, the, see that. I hate to say that, but uh, the Super Bowl parade, it, please let it be better than the Thanksgiving Day parade that Detroit does every year and that they televise on some uh, far-flung channel that you'll find on a distant cable network <laughs> and that uh, my wife always tunes in as a Detroit native every Thanksgiving morning and then I lampoon it with a coffee in my hand. It's it's tradition in the wait, Calvary wait, C. Wait, household. Wait, wait, In Arizona? There's the, yeah, you can find it. There's the Macy's Day parade on Thanksgiving yeah. and then there's the Detroit parade. And yeah. let's just say they're not one and the same. So let's hope the Lions parade, if there is one, is much better. Why That's do you all save I have to your say. Lion socks, and if they have the parade, Darren can wear them and go to Detroit? Absolutely. Darren, yeah. They're all yours, Darren. I think Paul goes to no Detroit more. more often than I say, do, actually. Say no, say no more about that one. Yeah. the uh, Look, I covered the Lions back in the day. So uh, back in the Silverdome. and uh, before you were born, Danny. Oh, boy. Sounds yeah. like it. So... Uh, you know, they, they couldn't win anything with Barry Sanders back in the day, but they figured it out now. And once again, uh, dang, dang, by the way, who's going to win Coach of the Year? Is it D'Amico Ryans? That'll be uh, right. I mean, Dan Campbell in uh, hindsight. Well, again, again, the, the playoffs don't matter because all the votes are in right. before the playoffs. So, gotcha. I mean, I think yeah. Stefanski's going to get some votes mm. with five quarterbacks and 11 wins. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, it's not often that your ratio of – wins to quarterbacks is like 1.5 and you're Mm -hmm. winning going to the playoffs all right so there you go uh you know i look once again i I just think the fatigue is real as a nation uh would do wonders for the morale of america if we got some fresh blood in lamar and the ravens with the lions and dan campbell that's just uh, my opinion i kept thinking to myself that could be totally clipped and then we could just talk about the fatigue and you could put anybody in there well have have you craig grealu have y'all seen the fatigue the, of Craig Grealu? The wow. conspiracy theory of the lo- the color of the Super Bowl logo every year, and that the last like three years, the two primary colors in the league's Super Bowl logo have been the primary colors of the two teams facing off. Come on! And this year, the main colors are like a reddish purple, which would be San Francisco and Baltimore. Gotcha. Let me look up the recent Although, logos. speaking of Craig Grillo, he brought up that the NFL season opener that Thursday night game was what? Lions at Kansas City. Yeah, that's true. So I remember that. Yeah. That, that feels like a million years ago. Did that portend something there on that front? So, sorry, I have this picture right here, if you can see on the camera. So, it two years ago, the main colors were like an orange-yellow that was Bengals-Rams. Last year in Arizona, the greenish and then, you know, like the red in the background was Eagles Chiefs. And now it's like a reddish purple. You guys can kind of see. See. Okay. Gotcha. So Baltimore. Wait. Reddish purple? So. Baltimore and the Niners. Okay. That's what what people are saying online. Or you could just say the number one seeds are going to get there. Yeah, that's not as fun, Darren. That'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.